3: Hello and welcome to our Air with me, Jane Garvey. That was very unfair because I was <laughs>
1: out of the room. I'm Jane Garvey and she's still Fee Glover. I just wanted to oh, get it's, something. It's the way you say it. Oh, okay, how are you? I think we're a bit... We're, can we be honest? We're a bit Tetchy Tuesday. It was Tetchy Tuesday in the office. There was a bit of a... It was one of those... You know when you walk into a space and... Um, the, the, well, there was just a bit of... <laughs> Just one of those. In, I, anyway, things have gone on, obviously, not involving either of us, actually. Yeah, I felt it too. I think they've been a bit of a kerfuffle. Interesting. Yeah. We're but too new to be able to ask anybody what's going on, That's aren't we? office life, though, isn't it? it I mean, is. I've never worked anywhere where there weren't kerfuffles. And back in the day, sometimes the atmosphere at various places I've worked could be verging on the poisonous. If so-and-so wasn't happy with the way somebody else had manhandled the printer or just you know, occupied it for too long, that sort of thing. There's a lot of that going on. We just had feathers and petals but strewn our way in yeah, all of the offices well, I've worked normally, in. Normally, I mean, if you do want to contribute with your own office techiness, you can do so, Jane and Fee at times.radio. Good idea. Because there are, I and mean, particularly staff rooms, I
3: imagine as well. Oh my goodness, we used to have a smoking room back in the day at uh, the first London radio station I worked at. And that tells you how long ago it was. And it was just dens of iniquity.
1: Why? Well, that always suggests that people who smoke are more interesting than lifelong non-smokers. And I refuse to believe that. Uh, oh okay open to
3: discussion no there's nothing there's nothing particularly interesting about smokers but I think it's just the I time that you spend think some smokers think they're more yes. interesting yeah. but also it's the time that you spend not actually doing anything so you do have to vaguely make conversation but they're terrible things smoking rooms I look back on them and just think
1: really? How could, really? Well, I mean but people the fact that people could smoke on the underground smoke in oh. restaurants I mean it's just the top deck of the bus yeah. oh my good god can you imagine but I'm back to my Thing about staff rooms. I was always, you know, when you were at school and you used to sometimes take something to the staff room. Did you ever do that? I sometimes was in a position of very minor authority, and I'd have to go and deliver something to the staff room. What would it be? Oh, I don't know, Um, a book, something of that nature. And um, you'd knock on the door, and it would always be. A very adult and intriguing world, because you'd see the... Oh, you'd have a sly glance. Yeah, the games you? mistress would be sitting on the arm of the chair occupied by the chemistry teacher, and you'd think, oh, hello, mm. what's and going did on your, there?
3: did your school have a staff room that had kind of normal sitting room furniture in it?
1: I think there was a sofa, and, I mean, I didn't go in regularly. <laughs> I wasn't actually a member of staff, I should say. Um, no, there were sort of those low, low chairs, Okay. Chairs, the sort of chairs now I'd struggle to get out of, yeah. to be perfectly honest. But I always remember thinking it was very, very odd, you know, in a in a school
3: where every single chair and table and desk was the same, that there was this room that
1: had soft furnishings in it. It seemed ever so wrong. Well, if you've ever been in a staff room and it's been a special place for you, perhaps it's where you met the love of your life. Let us know. Mm. But they should have soft furnishings. By the way, the they? PE teacher did marry the chemistry teacher. Oh, Yeah. Ooh. I know, we were scandalised. Partly, I think, because we thought all the teachers were about 84. Okay. So, but, but also, I think probably we shouldn't throw too many stones. Have you ever met and married someone at work, Jane? Oh, shut up. So right. have I. God. <laughs> OK, now, um, right, moving Right, come on, on let's Who, just do our, something. Our guest today... Uh, yes. But well, was such a nice man, wasn't he? And it, sometimes people live up to expectations. Not always, in my experience, but sometimes. And it was Michael Palin today. Um, how would you describe Michael Palin?
3: Well, I think he genuinely deserves the title of national treasure. You and I don't necessarily find his comedy, his
1: early comedy, the funniest comedy on the planet. Well, we didn't actually get on to Monty Python, but we did agree earlier in the day that neither of us found any of it remotely funny, except I said, I thought, in the life of Brian... I'm not sure whether you'd, you you you've got to work, but that bit about the Judean People's Front and the People's Front of Judea did make me laugh. Yeah,
3: that might have a tiny bit of merit. But yeah. a lot of it I think I laughed at because I felt that I was with people who found it funny, and I should...
1: And then you look back and you just think, no, i never found well, that funny I at want, all. What I want, you know, at the cinema, where it's all coming back to me now, when they show a short film before the feature film. Oh,
3: those are the days. Yeah, and I used
1: to go to the cinema all the time as a kid because there wasn't a great deal to do and I loved going to the Crosby Classic. Um, and there was a, a short film, a Monty Python film, called Gateway to Balham, and it, I've seen that. Have you seen yeah. I had no idea that it was supposed to be funny. Oh. I thought that somebody had just made a feature film, a short film, an instructional film, about a, a part of London that was worth exploring. Do you know what, Jane? Sat through. It's about 15 minutes long. I, I didn't crack a smile even. You have no missed, idea. You have missed a rare opportunity
3: in your life to genuinely belly laugh at people from the South. Oh well, I did. I just, I did miss it. You're quite right. I just mystified. I'd, I'd, tonight, I'd go back and find that. Pour yourself a nice glass of something and chortle your way through. Okay. <laughs> anyway, look. Michael was in. Yes, to talk. Michael Palin was here today. Uh, yes. He was in to talk about a book and a travel series that he has done. The travel series is three documentaries on Channel 5 and the book is all about Iraq and he takes a trip down one of the rivers in Iraq, the Euphrates and meets so many interesting people It wasn't the Euphrates Which was it? The The Tigris. Tigris He takes a trip down the Tigris
1: I really enjoyed doing that. Know, you got it in front It, it of wasn't you. the Euphrates.
3: <laughs> he took a trip down the length of the River Tigris from Turkey all the way through Iraq. And he's just got a way about him, hasn't he? So when he meets people, he manages to get them to be themselves, actually, and just tell you interesting things.
1: Yeah, he's a very, very uh, genuine and rather lovely gentleman. And we started by asking him where he started his journey and why. Well, why was
4: a combination of reasons. One is that I'd been with a team to North Korea and we built up a good bond between us, a very good team. They got some very good footage and we all felt a sense of achievement at going to somewhere that most people didn't go to and asking questions, which is really what travel's all about. I think going to the same places with the same people each time is not quite what, what I want to do. So we broke out with North Korea. Where else can we go that people don't want to go to? And, you know, that's a bit flippant, but Iraq came fairly top of the list. But more seriously, I felt here's a country which for the last 20 or 30 years has just had bad news coming out. Violence, killings, wars, civil wars, um, you know, awful, awful sort of tortures and stuff. And I wanted to know how a country like that has survived all that time. Because people have to, you know, families have to be brought up, children have to go to school, um, you know, people people have got to get on with life. So I wanted to find out how Iraq had survived the awfulness, um, and real awfulness, and also the other side of it was... The irony of the fact that the world's first cities and the first civilizations in the world were created in Iraq. Yeah. So its history is four, four or 5,000 years old.
3: So it is the crucible of human life, isn't yeah. it? And some of the buildings mm. there, I mean, I, I confess my ignorance, I didn't realise Babylon was in Iraq. Mm. No, well, it is, I can
4: assure you of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I do know. Yeah, no, Babylon's in Iraq. A lot of the places in the Bible are in Iraq. You know, the, the Garden of Eden. Is in Iraq and and rather disappointing that was too. There was a little (laughs) sign saying, This is the site of the Garden of Eden. And there was a tree, which is a tree, not the actual tree, the uh, knowledge of of good and evil. But it's the second, it's the son of that tree. And it's just in a concrete plinth somewhere. And when we went to the, the site of the Garden of Eden, they have a little gift shop there. And on the on the shelf were four Santa Clauses sitting there. And I thought, this is bizarre. This <laughs> oh. is a cultural mix I'm not ready for.
3: You couldn't buy any temptation? <laughs> no, 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 no. Temptation was off me. Yeah, we'll talk about women, actually, <laughs> in Iraq uh, in a couple of moments' time. But um, And you met people who had incredible hope and mm. optimism and positivity. But I do notice in the book that uh, that you do make sure that the reader knows that you know that's mm. not the kind of you know the go to for everybody it is still a country really scarred by what happened to it
4: well it's it's a partly militarized country still you know everywhere you go there are roadblocks you go 50 miles there may be three roadblocks with armed police will stop you and 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 want to see your passes and when they see your passes they don't they ignore them and put you in a side sort of parking space for half an hour and off you go again so there's very much the feeling that the war could start again, is still going on. And yet, you know, even in the midst of war, there's tremendous uh, resilience and optimism. And the one thing that really struck me was meeting children, uh, young children, when I was in the old city of Mosul, which is a beautiful part of, uh, of a beautiful, once beautiful city, which has actually been blown to pieces. And this is just piles of rubble. Yet in amongst us, children suddenly appeared and they weren't sort of angry children they weren't resentful they didn't want my my pity or my tears they just wanted to welcome me and say we're okay we, we you know we've dealt with this come and see my mum we've got there's one house still existing there we can get you some food and things like that and i was i was very very moved by that because i was in my rather condescending way thinking i must come there and pat them on the head and say how sorry I am. They were patting me on the head and saying, come on, don't be so soft. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Weeping. <Stop> <laughs> they
1: weeping. Um, had they met many foreigners before, or any? Um, Apart from, not, I suspect, not, military. Not many.
4: Military, uh, and I, I suppose there were NGOs had been there yeah. from various charitable groups. And we, we saw one group going by and they were, they were rather sort of being taken through and nodding as if they were... Being given a lesson on what had happened whereas with us and we've got a brilliant camera and a sound man, we just went in amongst the place and just said well let's see let's see what happens and i wanted to speak to the people themselves not to look at a form which says this is what happened to them
1: mm. and now um it's often the case that britain has a part to play <laughs> in mm. countries like iraq yeah. and and the creation of the state of iraq was a, a british creation wasn't it
4: yes it was i mean it was the the end of the the Ottoman Empire in the First World War, there was a lot of land ruled by the Ottomans that um, had to be divided up. And And the British and the French, being the statesmen of the time, they were the ones who carved it up. And the French took Syria and the British took Iraq and immediately set about trying to find oil, which was really why it was so important to get miles and miles of empty desert, was because there might be oil under there. And of course they discovered the oil and then, Iraq was virtually run by the oil companies and being installed a king and he got murdered and so it went on and then Saddam Hussein popped up. Mm. A friend of the British at the beginning, one yeah. has to remember these things. History is not absolutely sort of clear set of logical uh, progressions at all.
3: And Saddam Hussein's really evil vanity is still all over Iraq, isn't it? I wondered why mm. so many of his palaces... Uh, haven't been destroyed, mm. haven't been knocked down. I mean, they're they're ghastly in their splendour, aren't they? Yeah, I mean,
4: a lot of them have been very severely damaged. There aren't many that are intact, um, and I don't think anyone knows quite what to do with them. I mean, they had to they had to make uh, put them out of action by sort of blasting the walls and all that, making sure military militia groups couldn't use them to fire outside, but they're not absolutely flattened.
3: Yeah, but they're um, in such beautiful places, aren't they, looking at over all the All across the Freighties, river in Tikrit, yeah.
4: which is one of the saddest places I've been to because that had the um, that was his hometown. And he just built palaces, not just for himself, but for his friends, you know, oh, give you a palace. And they're all along, looking over the river there. And we met this militia group there who were rather stern people, a sheer militia group. And they, we said, we'd like to see inside some of the palaces see what was left and they said no we, we don't want you to do that we want you to tell the story of a massacre that happened um, and indeed by the river there something which I'd forgotten all about there were um, some sheer cadets about 1700 of them were massacred by a sunny group in 2014 just shot and pushed into the river so I mean you 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 know that's a art for you it takes your breath away in one moment you see that the next moment you're in a Quite comfortable hotel.
1: Very strange. Fee mentioned the, the women, or rather, actually, as you point out in the book yourself, the absence of women in the public yes. space in Iraq. You do yeah. seek out women, I should say, and you you interview yeah. at least a couple yeah. during the series of the programmes. But it was it's very hard to be able to do that in in that culture. It would seem it is it is very
4: difficult. I mean, you have got to find women who um, are taking a bit of a risk in in being wanting to be independent perhaps not wearing the veil, whatever, mm. wanting to go into business, wanting to go into politics. Um, generally speaking, women are kept out of the way. And the most extraordinary example of that was we went to um, see a farmer and he told us about the dreadful drought out there. But he was a lovely man, took us back to his house. And his sons were both sort of doctors, quite an educated family, beautiful spread. Yeah, on the floor. It look lovely. It was terrific. Yeah. We all sat there. A and, lot of like food, that.
3: though, Michael, if I may say so. I hope that didn't go to waste. Did you take it away in some Tupperware boxes? Um,
4: I, <laughs> I left that to the director to decide what to do. They always <laughs> like to do close-ups of the food at the end. You know? <laughs> yeah, But, I mean, the, the great thing was that it was a wonderful meal and we said to the farmer, you know, Please, who made this meal? And he said, my, my daughter, uh, my wife and my daughter-in-law. And we said, well, we'd really like to thank them because this is terrific. May we thank them? And he said, yes. And that was it. We never saw them. Right. They were never introduced to us at all. And I thought that was kind of odd. There was no fear there or anything like that. There was a, quite an educated family. But even there, there was an embarrassment about the women perhaps because we were a film crew or something like that, meeting foreigners.
3: And did you have to go as an all-male crew?
4: No, I don't think was, we were an all-male crew, but I don't think that was a condition of it. There are actually quite, There's quite a, lot of, a nice atmosphere in, in Iraq of being able to speak your mind. And then we moved to North Korea for three weeks, you know, that was rather a wonderful relief. Um, and there were, you know, in, in Baghdad, there were these poets on the banks of the... Um, the Tigris River, doing sort of satirical poems for a crowd of young men. I was
1: yeah, about that, that that is perfectly allowed.
4: Yes, and we talked to one or two people, including our, um, our very cosmopolitan fixer, uh, and, and they were unanimous in saying the government is absolutely rubbish. And they were able to say that. No one came and arrested them or anything. Mm.
3: And Um, was it that lovely fixer who made the point about how much uh, he had been annoyed at the anti-war demonstrations in the UK? He had been like, no, stop it. You know, you don't understand. We want to be liberated. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to make an assumption about your politics at all, Michael, but were you... Uh, did you have anti-war sentiments yourself?
4: I am full of anti-war sentiments. Yes. Okay. I can't in the point of war at all. But I know that's rather vague and simplistic. But of course, I was against it.
3: Um, but then, when you meet a lovely guy like that who is thoughtful yeah. and intelligent, it's a really, it's really important, isn't it, to understand a different perspective?
4: Uh, yes, I, I, th- I think so. And I, th- but I think there are ways and ways of dealing with what Saddam represented. You don't necessarily have to have a full-scale invasion. And, and this was the problem, if you get rid of Saddam, okay, that would be fine and neat and tidy, everything would have settled down. But to, to invade the country and then have to rebuild the country, which you didn't understand in any shape or form, that seems to me the real problem about about that war. Yeah. It was what happened afterwards, not, not, not the removal of Saddam Hussein. And Saddam Hussein was out, out, without doubt a very sort of nasty piece of work.
1: That is Michael Palin, of course, uh, speaking to us a little earlier today, and you can hear the rest of our chat in a moment. Life is full of what ifs, some
4: awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
3: Michael Palin was our guest this afternoon. We continued our conversation asking how he feels about travelling the world now because of that difficult balance between climate change and expanding our horizons.
4: Well, I'm afraid I would say, well, it is a circle I can square because that's what I can do and have been able to, to perhaps inform people about the world and other countries and what they think and their expectations by being actually able to go to those countries. I mean, if I could go by ship, but even then, you know, ships are fairly poisonous to the atmosphere as well. I think there's no question that when you travel, you're going to be using up you know, a bit of carbon. But I think in my, in my particular case, um, I feel it's really important to go to the country, the country itself, if you really want to find out what's going on. It's always very different to what you hear from the media mm. back home.
1: And is is the style of travel show the traditional style of travel show, which is done by? Venerable white chaps. Is Mm. that still okay? (laughs) Venerable white chaps. She said, gazing with reverence at at a venerable white chap. I'll take the venerable bit. That's fine. Well, you deserve it.
4: Well, I I think anybody who's got anything to say about the world should be considered to say their piece. And if they can deliver good ideas, good opinions, good insights about the world, Whoever they are, man, woman, child, whatever, race, colour, they should be able to do it and should be encouraged to do it. Mm. I think it is important to have a range of opinions, and and go and deliberately go out for that. I think the most important thing is to get people who are good, who know what they're talking about. I don't. I'm afraid I just don't think getting in people for the sake of what they're you know they're. they're, they're Whatever they might, their view might be on Their, their popularity.
3: Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. you've got
4: to know your stuff. I think. Um,
3: but I watched some of your revisits of your travels around the world in eighty days that you did during the lockdown. It was yeah. it was us watching you watching yes. you. Very meta. Yeah, very meta. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I sensed that there was a <coughs> tiny bit of reticence from you sometimes mm. about the places you've been to and the things that you're seen and said? Well
4: my reticence is always because I know that I'm not an expert and no, I don't like to be seen as an expert. And you're a sometimes... 79
3: year old white man you can run for president. You... Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> your, your category I can't run is expert. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I can I can walk for president, <laughs> well, stagger for president. No, I can run actually, I'm reasonably quite fit. I've avoided politics. Um, and, and not regretted that, mm. um, sorry, what was the question? I Whether you were
3: reticent when you watched your earlier yeah. work back about anything about a change in times or a change in tone?
4: yeah, I think it I think, again, I just feel you've got to be very, very careful of making judgments, instant judgments about especially about countries and the world, the way the world is. things will change you know drastically or even change just um um, you know, in, in, a, in a few months, the emphasis will change. I mean, you'll get something like the war in Ukraine, which is a massive change. Um, but the, at the same time, you've got climate change, which is, you know, having different manifestations as we go by each year. But I think one's got to be very careful of saying, well, if we do this, that will happen. If we do this, it'll make it all better. And I, I feel I'm still discovering, and that's what traveling is about for me as well, satisfying a satisfying curiosity. Not being an expert who knows his stuff and, and trying to tell the rest of the world what to do.
1: Now I'm glad. I'm glad you're fit now, and you are you yes. clearly are yeah. fitting well at the moment, which yeah. is great. I but, got here. Yes, indeed. Mm. But when you put it to the family that the trip to Iraq was looming, mm. how how did that go down? Not well. No. Not well. Can't say I'm surprised. Well, so, <laughs> I mean, my wife's terrific,
4: really. She's always been very keen on me going away for long periods of time <laughs> to remote parts of the world. It's a Sign of her love for me, I suppose. Um, <laughs> But North Korea was the first one. That took a bit of a battery. Well, yeah. Uh, and Iraq, too. North Korea, I think, was slightly worse because so little was known about North Korea. And even though we went at a time when there was a rapprochement, you, you know, people went there and some people didn't come out again. So there was the feeling that you would, no one would know anything about what happened when you went into Korea. Whereas in Iraq, people know where you are all the time. It's a bit like going into a Western country in a way.
1: Mm. Yes, I mean, of all the places you've been in the world, was North Korea, by some margin, the worst?
4: Well, worst in what way? Well, if you could imagine,
1: (laughs) or could you possibly imagine, carving out in any way a half-decent life there? Possibly. Really? How? Just
4: possibly. Well, you would have to stop reading the books you like reading, you would have to stop listening to the music you like necessarily, you would stop listening to, you know... Radio and TV, and and, and have a very, very limited mix of things you could see. If one wanted that life, I wouldn't at all. I'm quite the opposite. I'm, I'm a sort of sucker for information from all quarters. But I can see that some people may see it as a kind of the ultimate retreat where you'd have to think very little. Everything's done for you, it's reasonably comfortable. There's no litter in North Korea at all. You know, if you just wanted to be, um, be on your own and be out of it and and turn your back on the the, the noisy world outside, yes, I could mm. see you could like it. it
3: takes away the choice of even a haircut, doesn't it, for men? I mean, that is quite something. Uh, do most Iraqis mm. want more people to come and visit Iraq?
4: Yeah, I think they... I'm, I'm sure they do, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I and mean, be good for business. It's something that, you know, they they, they feel, I think, that they've been... Um, sort of rejected by the world for a long time and people have turned their back on, on on Iraq, so obviously yes but there is, in, in almost every country I went to, even, dare I say, it, North Korea in some ways, there is a, an urge to welcome people. If you approach with the right attitude, you haven't got a gun and you haven't got an opinion that you want to allow and you haven't got a Bible, then you probably be welcomed um, and, and certainly people in, in Iraq welcomed us um, they didn't oddly enough, didn't blame us for all the terrible things that have happened, uh, which they could I, well have uh, done. They
1: but... really didn't? It never came up?
4: Or, Well, no. I mean, this could be. We weren't there for a long time. They may be trying to be nice to us. But, I mean, the general, the general feeling was that they knew that the problem was within Iraq itself. It's a country of so many different tribes, groups, religions. They know that they know it's not a perfect country and it's never really worked so i suppose you could blame the british for lumping it all together in the first place but i think they see the problems they as their own problems which they have to sort out thank you very much
1: presumably with their oil i mean obviously i know oil is in itself difficult but they could be a hugely successful prosperous place
4: yeah absolutely and it's, a lot it's of iraqis yeah. a lot of iraqis will tell you that i mean we went to a school with super children i mean we really very, very clever, bright, lots of energy. And yet the buildings they were in were sort of falling apart, you know, and these are, a lot of them were taking sort of science as education, and yet the actual facilities, the laboratories just
3: weren't there at all. I mean, mm. they, they were such bright buttons, weren't oh, they? Really ter- amazing. They're terrific, yep. yeah. yeah, yeah I and mean, yep. pretty... um, when you think back to that journey, what mm. is the most kind of mesmerizing memory that comes to you of all of the places that you visited?
4: Well, I think it's probably going up that tower, the minaret oh, in yes. Samara. It's a beautiful building. And I had to do something which I wasn't prepared for at all, which is to walk up the building, which has no um, fencing on the, on the side, just on the inside. So you're looking out. Over, I, have, I have suffered from vertigo. I managed to go up this 200-foot building, stand on the top with no fence around at all, and suddenly was able to stand there without quaking. Now, I don't know why that happened.
1: Michael Palin um, talking to us about his 1000 mile journey from Turkey through to Iraq along the River Tigris, which he's documented in his new book Into Iraq. But honestly, we can't say often enough those docs on Channel 5 on my five now are really worth having a look at. And I think as well, his North Korea shows are also still there. So have a look at those, too, because I, I can't think of a more pitiful set of circumstances than finding yourself a citizen of north korea i have to say but uh, michael said he thought he might be able to make a life there which i was i was surprised by but his reasoning was interesting because he was basically saying it's a place that if
3: you wanted all of the difficulty of choice to be taken away from you then you would have a contented life under that regime and I mean I've never been there well, I don't so I... I'm I'm not qualified to make that judgment no. I think there's an awful lot of poverty and deprivation in North Korea. starvation in <laughs> yes. so oh, that may problem. not work but no. I see the point that he was trying to make but yeah. it would be difficult to go from this society to that society and I don't know feel that you had lost something
1: we have had uh, emails and this is a worrying one from nancy in northern wisconsin usa i'm glad you made that distinction clear because nancy we don't really want uh, emails from southern wisconsin thank you very much so uh, keep them northern if you don't mind um dear jane and fee after some searching around on the net i finally found you turns out i had misheard the title of your program now on times radio my yankee ears heard affair with Jane and Fee, not off-air with Jane and Fee. Looking forward to listening on a regular basis, less corporate restriction and a bit more snark. Um, we'll do our best to up the snark, qu- snark quotient. I mean, it shouldn't be difficult, <laughs> let's face it. I'll fill myself up with it tonight.
3: come to work with an extra special brew tomorrow. Julie says, still loving you both on your new programme, so enjoying hearing women of my age commenting on the news. And it is like listening to friends. Uh, wonderful hearing Jane call out Sir uh, Gavin Williamson Disgraceful text to a female work colleague with the gravitas it deserves. Yes, the taxpayer pays his salary. Go girls! You did have a little bit of a. It wasn't ticking off. It was a. It was a straight faced conversation with a manager this morning
1: who said that you were just on the right side when discussing Sir Gavin. Just, just about. Um, (laughs) Yes. Let's move on to M. Who says, thank you for five wonderful years on our podcast. Fortunately, that's gone now, but we're here now. And uh, listen, life changes. We all have to make adaptations. And we have done. Anyway, M continues, My wife and I, as a same-sex couple, I feel compelled to disclose that she did the hard work of pregnancy, had twins in February 2020. Impeccable timing. Oh, my, that must have been tough. And obviously we had far less external help than we might have hoped for during the first year. It was really hard, but it could have been worse. Blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. You sound like me. Uh, the podcast became my Friday night treat. It was usually deployed to get me through another evening of endless cleaning up after the newborn babies crawling around babies toddlers anyway it was a joy to have you both take off the edge of the insult of another friday night slog i'm happy to report that the monday to thursday podcast edition is serving much the same purpose but meted out through the week I hope you're becoming less exhausted by the new environment, are comfortable with your respective toilet stall choices and are enjoying yourselves. Thank you, Em, and the very best to you, to your wife, and indeed to the twins. That is such bad timing to have twins in the February of 2020. What were people thinking? Crazy. Well, well done for just getting through it. Yeah, God, yep. absolutely.
3: Yes, um, Yes. I was a little troubled the other day because we did enter the ladies' toilet together and you went to a stall too close to my favourite stall so I had to go to a different stall. it's it's all gone wrong already.
1: It is difficult, that whole bit. I mean, there is something very weird about humans and our loo habits, isn't there? (laughs) That we just, we do get into a little routine and if we're honest, we like to stick to it. And why that is, I simply... Well, it was like the bog roll bandits during lockdowns. You know, the obsession with acquiring toilet paper. What that? It's the same sort of scatarchological nonsense, isn't it, really? Yep. One day I'd quite like to see what's still in your basement. <laughs> it's, I think, probably... It's in triple figures, isn't it? Well, when the authorities do get in there, you can say, well, she kept herself to herself.
3: <laughs> she was very quiet. No
1: one would have suspected a thing. she
3: <laughs> was always very polite. Actually, no, they wouldn't say that about you at all. So, if you'd like to get in touch, uh, you really don't have to send us kind of uh, thankful emails at all. You can just tell us about your lives, funny things that you've come across in the day. We would welcome the distraction. Jane and Fee at
1: times.radio. Yeah, just anything you'd like us to riff about, actually. Or something that's occurred to you that you don't believe anybody else else would be interested in, but based on past experience, you think we might like. Yeah, that's yeah. quite
3: a wide category as well. Because
1: you do know the sorts, I mean, scabs took up weeks on end, there was dead foxes. We've talked, I mean, hair down plug holes, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Uh, and it is the the chuff of life, as we all know. Uh, Jane and Times, Jane and Times, <laughs> no. Uh, Jane and Fee at times.radio. And our guest tomorrow is the woman they call the voice of Gen Z, Florence um, Given. I'm genuinely uh, a
3: little bit nervous about doing that interview. I don't really know what Gen Z's about and I don't really know.
1: I think she's quite fiery, isn't she? I'm well, a little she's a bit trepidatious. She, she's very spirited and yeah. she has every right to be and we're looking forward to meeting her tomorrow. You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times Radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you like what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this, but live, uh, then you can Monday to Thursday, 3 to 5 on Times Radio. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye.